Mark chapter 9. Join me there in verse 42. It's a lengthy passage. It's, it's, uh, it's teaching and words, the likes of which you've never heard from Jesus. I'm going to call your attention starting in verse 42. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 42. <clears throat> Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Join me as we pray. <clears throat> Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help me to rightly represent what you've given us. And at the same time, I pray that by your spirit, you would open eyes and ears to hear and see. God, I pray that you would strengthen and encourage brothers and sisters in Christ that are struggling today, that you would bolster their faith. And I pray for those without Christ that you would call them. Today will be the day when their ears hear you summoning them to come and believe. I pray you help us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> you may be seated. It happens almost any time there's a hurricane that has been spotted in the Gulf. <clears throat> Before it slams into the coast, the news bulletins go out and warnings dominate the airwaves. Oftentimes, evacuation routes are opened up. If there is an interstate there that runs through that town, both sides of the interstate will be going one way to get as many people out of town as quickly as possible. If there is sufficient time, if the hurricane is spotted early enough, if there is sufficient time, you'll see people trying to board up the windows and doors. They want to do all they can to get all they can out of the way of the path of the storm. <clears throat> because the Category 5 hurricane is nothing to be trifled with. But inevitably, even... Even though they had the warnings, even though the authorities tried, even though passionately and incessantly people tried to get them out of their home and into a safe spot, there are those individuals that will decide to ignore the authorities, to ignore the pleadings, and they will decide that they can ride out the storm. 
And all too often, once the storm has passed, their families find out that they were washed out to sea. And why were they washed out to sea? It's because they were not sufficiently afraid of the danger. What we have here before us this morning is a storm warning. Some of the strongest words that you will ever hear out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus. Truthfully, just studying this passage this week, I was talking to Connie about it, just studying this passage was disturbing, it's convicting, it's, it's bothersome. There's no storyline here, there's, there's no travel narrative here, there is just a deadly serious Jesus giving a deadly serious warning. Turns out that Jesus is the original hellfire preacher. Jesus said more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. In this passage, the word for hell is the Greek word Gehenna. It is used 12 times in the Gospels, and Jesus uses it 11 of those 12 times. And in this passage, Jesus walks up to the bicycle and takes off the training wheels. He talks to us this morning about just how deadly serious it is to belong to him. My intent today is to rightly represent what Jesus has said as it has been recorded for us by Mark so that you and I might rightly follow him. Because, this would be thematic, because following Christ is a deadly serious adventure. Following Christ. It is an adventure. It is a deadly serious adventure. Now, just like any other deadly serious adventure you might go on, when you go on those kind of adventures, you must pay attention to a lot of things. So I think we're called to pay attention, and I want to start where Jesus starts in verse 42. It's, it's an odd place to start, but that's where he finds us. Verse 42, number one, here's the first point. You're on this adventure. Number one, we must pay attention to others. To others. you find it there in verse 42. Let me read the warning. And uh, let's read the warning, pull it apart, and then come back and make some application. Join me there in verse 42. This will feel a little bit like a Bible study. Verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now this, let's see if we can divide it up. Join me there, verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me. So here are true believers. These are little ones who believe in me. Maybe he's talking about children. Probably he's talking about those that are weak in their faith. Some that are vulnerable, maybe young, possibly inexperienced. Truly a, a new believer because they believe in him, they are saved, maybe vulnerable, maybe damaged, maybe abused, and it's skewed how they think, maybe confused. Yes, they believe in Christ, but don't really know much else. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me, 
who believe in me. Let's take that phrase, who believe in me. Jesus is talking about those that actually do belong to him. They believe in me. These are actual Christians. Now, a lot of times I'll hear people say that they go to a gospel church and, and uh, their preacher preaches the gospel and then you don't ever actually get to the gospel. So let's talk about what it means to actually believe in Christ. The Bible teaches that God has created all of us in his image, the image of God in you. That image of God in us has been disfigured by our own sin. That sin we commit is against God. It's against God. It's a crime against God. It's not just that we are far from God or made mistakes. We have offended a holy God and we stand under condemnation. That's bad news. Jesus talks a lot about hell. That's where we go without Christ. That's the condition we are in when God finds us in the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ lived as the true man, better than any of us could. He lived perfectly. He kept all God's law. And the cross is where Jesus goes and as a substitute in my place, your place, he takes the wrath of God that all humans deserve. He takes it so that every sinner that will ever be saved, Jesus pays the price for them on the cross. God raised him from the dead to show us that it worked, that there is victory. And the offer is, if you trust, Jesus did that for you. It's the gospel. Believe. If you believe that Christ did that for you, then you are saved. Jesus says, whoever causes one of my little ones who actually do believe in me. Look, if, if, you know how protective you are of your children. You know how protective you are of your children. If God bought you by the blood of Jesus, just think how protective he is of you. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. You see the phrase? To sin. It, it should say to stumble. I think the NIV has it right here. It's the word scandalon. It's a scandal. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, to, 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 to trip into temptation. If you influence that person to the degree that she falls into temptation. If you are the... If you are the one that leads her there, if you're bringing a brother or sister in Christ down, maybe they're not mature, and by the way you are living, you are affecting them. It's like if, if someone who was an alcoholic gets saved and comes to church, they struggled with drinking, and then you decide, hey, Friday night, let's go out to the bar. If you've taken one of my little ones who believed in me and you've caused them to sin, finish the verse, finish the verse. Verse 42, it would be better if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea. Now, let's take that imagery because it's given to us by Jesus. It would be better if a great millstone, what is a millstone? When you read in Judges chapter 9, there's a woman that took an upper millstone and she threw it over the wall on Abimelech's head and killed him. So maybe it was 50 or 100 pounds, a big boulder she rolled off. That's not what he's talking about. The great millstone would be the, what would be characterized as a donkey millstone. It's a donkey would walk around and pull the upper millstone over the grain that would crush it on the bigger millstone that's there, maybe 1,000 pounds, maybe 2,000 pounds. Think about the size of your car. Or if you, if you ever watch YouTube, or if you, like, if you like documentaries, you might I watch a documentary on the 
the great tankers in the, the North Sea. And what's amazing is their anchors and anchor chains. Like, like an anchor on a great giant tanker in the North Sea. When that anchor chain is freed and let go, the anchor plunges into the ocean. That anchor chain has links the size of a human. And you can just watch it plunging deeper and deeper with increasing speed. Except in this analogy that Jesus is giving us, that anchor chain is connected to your neck. And with unstoppable force, it rips you from the deck of that tanker and you sink deeper and deeper into darkness and your chest caves in and your lungs explode and you are annihilated. Jesus says, that happening to you is better than what will happen to you if you cause one of my believers to sin. It is better to die a horrific death by drowning than to cause another Christian to fall into sin. Now, you can make some general application if you want to talk about, if you want to talk about cults. So, yeah, we would say, yeah, that, those are call it, causing people that may have believed in Jesus to come off the rails into sin. Or if you want to talk about the prosperity gospel, sometimes people are saved by grace through faith in Jesus and don't know any better and go to a church where the prosperity gospel is taught and it causes them to go off into sin. Or maybe they're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. They go off into one of the liberal mainline denominations that have long since abandoned the gospel and they get a, a skewed sense of what it means to follow Christ. I think, though, that Jesus is talking about what you and I do, how we treat each other. I think he has in mind from this passage, because he's talking to individuals, how you lead and how you influence. What are you doing to, to help a new believer that might be weak or vulnerable or hurt to, to stay away from sin? Think of the, think of the example you set as a mother or or a student, or as a woman who claims to be a believer of, in Christ, and yet your life is such that the example you've set, people look at and fall into sin. Paul speaks of this to the church at Corinth. He speaks it in 2 Corinthians. He talks about it in the, the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, we who are strong, we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his own good to build him up. Or, or sometimes we fail to press, to press people on, to, to be the accountability, to joyfully push one another. That's what the, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. It says, Let, let's consider how we are to stimulate one another onto love and to good deeds. The truth of the matter is that following Christ is a deadly, serious adventure. We need to have a, a deep consideration for others. How we treat others is, is how we're treating Christ. How we set the example. It's amazing to me that Jesus starts out with looking outward, caring for other people, especially those that are vulnerable. Now he turns his attention inward. We not only pay close attention to others, here's the second point, number two, 
we must pay close attention to ourselves. From verse 43 down to verse 48. It's a strange passage. When you read this passage, what you're going to find is three hyperboles that Jesus uses. They are violent and he uses hyperbolic language to state just how serious he takes our commitment. So you're going to hear things like, cut off your hand if it causes you to sin, cut off your foot, gouge out your eye. He is not saying literally do that. So don't do that. He is saying, however, following me is irrational sometimes and painful sometimes. That discipleship means that whatever is endangering your spiritual life has to be dealt with sometimes in a drastic and dramatic way. Whatever is endangering you. That's why he uses language like cutting off. That's why it's sometimes very difficult to follow Christ because we have to do these things. Discipleship requires us doing these things that are terribly uncomfortable sometimes. So let's, um, let's slowly walk through it and make some application as we go. We'll start there in verse 43. We'll read it and talk you through it. Verse 43. <clears throat> Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life. You ought to circle that word life. It will be said again, verse 45, then down to verse 47, the replacement will be the kingdom of God. What Jesus is talking about is eternal life in the kingdom of God. So with that in mind, verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin and cut it off, it is better for you to enter eternal life having been crippled than to have two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And go to Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom is where it is. That's what the word Gehenna means, the Valley of Hinnom. It's on the southwest side of Jerusalem. It's where the pagan gods would burn their children up in a sacrifice to Molech. It was an evil and terrible place. After the reforms of Josiah, it would become a garbage dump, and there would be burning and continual burning. And Jesus says, that's where you're going. Now, that's the image he uses. If your hand causes you to sin, it's better to cut it off than to go there. They know they give the same image Come down the page in verse 45. By the way, those of you that um, are watching, you'll see it goes from verse 43 to verse 45. A lot of translations, the ESV, New American Standard, NIV, won't have verse 44, won't have verse 46, because they are the, exactly the same as verse 48, and the earliest, most reliable Greek manuscripts don't have those verses, probably have them down at the bottom of the page. So we come down to verse 45 and Jesus says, and your foot, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into Gehenna, into hell. And then verse 47, and if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter, this time it doesn't say life. He says the kingdom of God. They are similar. They're the same. Life, eternal life in the kingdom of God. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into Gehenna. Then he quotes Isaiah in verse 48 is a quote from the Old Testament, Isaiah 66, where their worm does not die, 
God has the ability to sustain so that you eternally would be eaten by worms and the fire is not quenched. God will sustain it so that the burning never stops. Now, what a terrible, terrible passage. And what is Jesus saying here if you take it all together with hand, foot, eye? What is he saying? He's saying that we are to take drastic steps to defeat the sin that has stayed in your life. Verse 43 talks about the hand. Verse 45 talks about feet. Verse 47 talks about eyes. Verse 43 is hand, what you do. Verse 45 is feet, where you go. Verse 40, eyes, what you see. What do you do? If your hand, if what you do causes you to sin, if your work, if your weekends, if your actions, whether it's private or public, if, if that has made it so that you can't really follow Christ, it's better if you would cut that off completely. He would say, don't go there. Don't do that if your hand causes you to sin. He would say, if your foot, if, if, if your foot causes you to sin, if, if where you go causes you to sin, don't go there. If you are newly converted and you've been struggling with addiction and you know that if you go to a certain place, you'll see other people that will cause you to fall, don't, Jesus, there, there's drastic action. Don't go there. If, if not coming to church, man, there are people that are believers or claim to be believers that have not been at the assembly and it's not that where they're going, it's where they're not going. Maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's not what you're doing, it's what you're not doing. Maybe it's inactivity. Maybe it's just straight out laziness. And, and the call from Jesus is this drastic action. If what you, if what you do or where you go, if, if that's causing you to be in sin, then you need to do something drastic. Or your eyes. My goodness, your eyes, what we see. If what you see is causing you to sin, and what we see, my goodness, if you've, if you've allowed it to the degree that you've found some sort of strange addiction to pornography and it has so, so messed up your Christian life or what you think is a Christian life, and this morning, just by virtue of what Jesus has said, there is drastic action you can take. We live in a world that has sexualized everything, sexualized the, the feminization of the American male, sexualization of the American female. That pornography is, has, is destroying young men and young women. Jesus says, if what, you, if what you're looking at, or, or maybe that's not, maybe yours is just materialism or you're jealous or what you see makes you go into a rage of jealousy. Jesus says, if what you're, if what you're doing or you're going or what you're looking at is causing you to miss the kingdom, it's better that you take these drastic actions. It's interesting if you read the passage, in every case, every verb is, it's present tense. Every verb is this, this ongoing action, that, that, that the struggle is continual. And here, the call of Jesus is to take some sort of, some sort of painful, drastic, it is irrational to cut your hand off. 
It's irrational to cut your foot off. What is Jesus calling you to do? Not, not that. You know what he's saying? There are friends to drop. To drop friends. To quit a job. To, to move out. Get, if, is it your smartphone? Get rid of your... Go outside. Look, I, I think this is where a lot of our attention needs to be given. It is the drastic call of discipleship. It's for our own good. It's for our human soul flourishing. To take, to take painful action, to decisively deal with the besetting sin that is going to be there. It will not stop until you do. And, and here, Jesus is holding up the image of the eternal burning garbage pit and says, deal drastically with your sin. What is it then? What is it? All, all of us here have some. What is it you? What is it you need to quit? What number do you need to block? What person do you need to avoid? Maybe you've been doing the rationalization game. A lot of us do this rationalization. We we say things like we can't we can't afford. I couldn't afford. It. I know it's not right, but I can't afford. Look, it, it is. It would be better for you to be broke and enter into life than to have plenty and go to hell. That's what he's saying. Where the worm doesn't die and the, the fire is not quenched. Look, being saved by God's grace through faith in what Jesus has done for you in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that begins this glorious adventure. But it is a deadly serious adventure. We must pay attention to other people. That's verse 42. We must pay attention to ourselves. That's verse 43 through verse 48. Now let me call your attention to verse 49, the third point, number three. We must pay attention to our own pain, to our pain. Or you might want to write down struggles. It's interesting to me, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have four gospel writers. Only Mark uses verse 49. So Matthew and Luke and John, they've, they've compiled the teachings of Jesus and they will choose under the compulsion of the Holy Spirit what they're going to record and each man will record that which he knows is going to be helpful. And Mark is writing this to a church in Rome. And verse 49, he records what Jesus says here. For everyone will be salted with fire. Now think about the church in Rome. The church in Rome is now under the government of Nero. Go read about Nero. Look, I don't like the government any more than you do. It's not Nero. It's close, but it's not Nero. And it would be easy for any of us here to live in this world of saying, you just don't know my situation. Or, or why has this happened to me? Or oftentimes we fall off into self we don't mean to, fall off into self-pity. And in just four words, Jesus says, this is universal. Everyone will be salted with fire. He reaches over to sacrificial language, with salt and fire. Salt would be preservative, but here it's, you're gonna, it's gonna cover that which is the sacrifice and the fire. You'll be salted with fire. A lot of people have discussed what this possibly means probably 
Jesus is giving us a reference to the purifying effect of persecution and pain. What it does for us inside. Peter knew all about it. He wrote about it. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's suffering so that you might rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. In other words, <clears throat> following Christ in a difficult, following Christ is difficult in a sinful world that hates God. Our world hates God. Our world hates your, your view of morality. If you think that two people that are Christians should wait until they're married to have sex, the world thinks that is ridiculous. We live in a world that hates our worldview, hates our values. It hates our thoughts on creation, hates our understanding of justice, hates how we view sexuality, how we view womanhood or manhood or work ethic or what to do with money or how to raise your children. And, and God gives us every bit of that in the world we live in. What for? So that we might be more and more like Christ. That's why we struggle to make us like Christ. You see, following Christ is a deadly serious adventure. I'll give you one last thing. One more thing. It's in verse, verse 50. What's the last thing we pay attention to? Number four, we must pay attention to our own devotion, our own personal devotion. It's going to sound very familiar. Verse 50 here sounds a lot like the Sermon on the Mount. Marie part of it. Jesus says salt is good. To that, I would say amen. Love salt. But there's more to it. Salt is good, but if... The salt has lost its saltiness. Doesn't that sound like Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7 when we are told we are the salt of the earth? If salt has lost its saltiness, how will it be made salty again? And then he says, here's the lesson. Have salt in yourselves. Be at peace with one another. What does it mean to have salt in yourselves? Salt is a preservative to have a sense of purity a sense of walking. He, he's talking about personal holiness here. Have that kind of salt. The, the distinctiveness, if you lose the distinctiveness of salt, it's no longer good. That which makes you distinctly Christian is not just your belief in Christ, but how that has played out in your life. Jesus says, have salt in yourselves. That which makes you different. There's a good reason for that. It preserves People look and see there's something different about her. It's that she is a follower of Christ. Have salt in yourselves. That's a preserving influence. And then what's going to happen is be at peace with one another. You know what you have here? Two H's. I'll, I'll give these and I'll be done. Holiness and humility. Holiness have Salt in yourselves, it's a life of devotion, personal devotion, doing your best in humility to follow Christ and honor him with your life. That life is what is salt. Have salt in yourselves. And then from there, 
is humility. It takes humility to live at peace with one another. It takes an understanding of what God has done for you in grace. When you understand grace, you understand that you were a sinner, dead in sin, plunged under the water, and God, out of love, looked down and saw you there, reached in, pulled you out, out of no doing. It wasn't because you were bobbing and off, doing a dead man's float. You were sinking dead, and he reached in and got you. And he did that and turned your eyes to Christ. And there you believe that Jesus lived and died, was raised for you. Out of nothing you've done. That's grace. And it makes us humble, not prideful. It makes us humble. And when you understand grace, you're much more prone to extend grace to other people. Jesus says, have salt, that purity in yourselves, and be at peace with one another. It starts a great adventure. When you're on this adventure, we pay attention. We pay attention to other people. We don't cause other people to sin. We pay attention to ourselves. If there's something that needs to be dealt with, even if it's drastic, we deal with it. We pay attention to our own pain. We realize it's no different. Everyone will be salted with fire. We pay attention to where God has put us and the distinctives that we are to have salt in ourselves and be at peace with one another as we follow Christ on the great adventure. And that adventure begins by trusting Christ in the gospel, his life, death, and resurrection. That's what makes this church, that's what makes you different, a follower of Christ. This morning as we close, I'd like to just offer a challenge with your heads bowed this morning to join me in a moment of commitment and prayer. <clears throat> We're going to sing one more song. It's our invitation song. And that song is an invitation for any of you that would like to come and pray. Maybe it would just be a symbolic coming forward and giving over. A drastic action that says, I need to abandon this sin. Maybe you've, God has just convicted you of that this morning. When we sing, today's the Lord's day. You're with God's people. It's a good time to do that. If you'd like to come forward and have a pastor pray with you, we'd love to pray with you. Maybe uh, you've, heard, you've heard the sermon this morning and you've heard the gospel and for the first time you realize you're a sinner condemned under the wrath of God, but there is hope in Christ. You want to talk about that hope. If you'd like to talk to one of our pastors, you can come forward. Or, or when church is over, they'll be in the lobby. Glad to talk to you about what it means to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the love that you give us in Christ. Thank you for the grace that you've shown us. Lord, I pray you would call people to yourself, that you would strengthen families, men and women, that you would find us faithful, that you would give us courage to take drastic action step away from that which we know is sin that we might follow you we thank you for the grace and courage to do that in jesus name we pray amen just stand please we sing together